Welcome to the Impact Food Forum. We bring the food industries together from small producers, scientists, chefs, and corporations to create a better food future for all of us. Standing together, this global community will have a positive effect on the food industries and all the people involved. Welcome to the Impact Food Forum. All right, so um, send, send me back three weeks ago. Where, where were you and what were you doing at the time before this all hit? So three weeks ago, I'm, uh, so I'm a, I'm a professor. Um, I teach, uh, I coordinate a program called Baking and Pastry Arts Management, um, but I'm, I'm a chef professor, so I teach them culinary some theory. Uh, I was just teaching normal classes so we do in, in labs. I run the bread program at the college. Um, so, I mean, what is today? Monday. So three weeks ago, I was in lab making baguettes with my students at this time. And then what? Uh, so I, I follow media fairly closely. Like I'm, um, I don't want to say I'm paranoid, but I, I knew that something was coming. Um, and I was addressing the situation with some of my colleagues and they were like, I don't think anyone believed me. And I was saying like, Hey, I think we're going to be closed by next week. Um, you know, I, and then, and then one night, I believe it was the Wednesday night of that week. Um, I'm a really big basketball fan. And, and on Twitter, I saw the NBA season is suspended. And then right there was when it was like, you know, it doesn't seem real until somebody, you know, or like a celebrity is, is ill. It's not an issue. And then all of a sudden you see that celebrity and you're like, whoa or like your cousin your aunt your uncle your grandmother whatever but people have that you know it, it's not directly affecting me but once something like the nba gets closed down so nba gets closed down i went into work on the thursday i happened to work at the most international school in the country um so we you know we provide a lot of staff for a lot of local restaurants um, and we have the the largest percentage of international students and i I have a two-year-old at home and I was kind of concerned like, hey, you know, maybe I shouldn't be going to work this week because we have a high volume of traffic at the, at the school. Um, and I sort of spoke to my boss about it and they had already started to take measures. They just didn't want to freak everyone out about increased cleaning, sanitary and, and, and traffic. Um, and then by, by Friday of that week, my, um, I have a nanny. We share a nanny with another family. So I received a text message at about six in the morning from the nanny and she happened to be sick on the Friday. Uh, and, and right there I was relieved because I was already stressed out about going to work. Um, and so not that it was an excuse, but it was like, okay, now I definitely can't go to work because my wife is very busy, you know, and I had, you know, she can't, we have to alternate. So I decided, Hey, I'm going to stay home. Um, and I drove her to work and then classes started that day. And by 2 PM, the college was closing. Wow. So it happened very quickly. Like on Monday, everyone was going about their business. And I was like the crazy guy, the crazy paranoid guy that follows social media too much and stay off of Twitter and like, oh my God, this and 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 it might it might sound kind of strange, but about a year and a half ago, maybe even two years. So I've been a full-time instructor for almost two years. It'll be two years this fall. So about a year and a half ago, I, you know, my daughter's, she turns two next Tuesday, a week from today. And so I, uh, I started getting sick a lot when I worked at the college because, you know, you have a high volume of people coming in and out 
um, the, their younger kids, right? So, you know, we try to teach hygiene and sanitation from a culinary point of view and from a baking point of view and an industry standard. But um, I found I was getting sick very often and I, I think it was just due to exposure and I stopped shaking hands. And so people already thought I was crazy. Like, oh, you're, we have a, we have a Canadian comedian. His name is Howie Mandel and he's notorious for being a germaphobe. And people were calling me like, oh, hey, Howie, you're not going to shake my hand. And I said, look, you know, I have a kid at home. I'm missing, I don't want to miss work. I don't want to get my wife sick. Like, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. And then, oh, well, you know, that's disrespectful. And my parents raised me better than that. And I said, no, my parents raised me just fine. I just am making a personal decision. So leading up to it, I was like the crazy paranoid guy that doesn't want to get sick and oh, they're not going to close the school, you know, like whatever. And then all of a sudden, just so fast, school was shut down. Then restaurants started shutting down. Every It was like within within a week, everything had changed and people were reaching out to me to say, um, I'm sorry, I should have listened to you. Um, I guess I should have taken this more seriously. Yeah. That's very interesting you said that with the, with the handshake. Because uh, that's the thing I've been thinking about. Yeah, I wonder if our, cult, no, I if our, if our culture is going to change that way. Because I, I feel almost oh. reluctant. Uh, is that a word? Like, re I, don't I don't want to shake people's hands anymore. Well, yeah, for sure. It's definitely we, a word. It's definitely do we need an alternative way of saluting each other? A fist bump. So fist bump. I just I just found that, you know, I maybe overthought it. So I kind of stopped shaking hands. But then every now and then someone comes up and they go to shake your hand. And now, so I spent I spent five years working for Daniel Balud. Um, and every day when you show up at work, the first thing you do is you shake everyone's hand. So you go around the kitchen, hey, how you doing? You shake everyone's hand, then you go to work. And so like, I was trained to do this. And, and I first started that in my classroom, I would shake all the students' hands, but then I was getting sick all the time. I think that people will stop or at least not do it as often. It won't be as formal of a greeting. Um, you know, I will still shake your hand if, for example, we are, you know, making a deal or we, or something significant. Hey, congratulations, you had a baby. I shake your hand, but not just, hey, nice to see you. Like the colleagues that I see every day at work, I don't need to shake your hand every single day, right? Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, I wonder if there were, it just makes so so much sense that we have salutes like this or uh, Muslims have. Yeah, 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 that's a good they, they, they've been They've been doing it in, 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 in yeah, places around the world where they had pandemics before, it, it, big epidemics before, so it really makes sense. But it's just us in the now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how how would you say that the uh, the COVID nineteen has affected your life now in the situation you're in now? How how is it different? Well, that, I mean, that's that's such a great question. I mean, I am extremely fortunate. So I worked in restaurants my whole life. Um, you know, I worked in a lot of Michelin overseas. I did private chefing for a while and my wife is a cancer survivor. Um, and I also, when I was cooking for Danielle, I had a really bad hand accident. I had to have multiple surgeries from a cut. And so at, at about that time when my wife was sort of like becoming cancer free, I decided that I didn't really want to work like that anymore. Um, and I got into teaching and now I had always thought that teaching is what people who can't cook do. Um, and I always kind of like, you know, I was like a hardcore, like 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. I wanted to be in the restaurant. I was cooking all day. I wasn't the sous chef that sat in the office. I like to be working. I like to be hands-on. 
and and I don't know, it just happened like, hey, I don't wanna be the one who's working these hours. And so I started teaching. Um, and I actually I was only planning on doing it for a couple months, have the baby, teach, and then go back and and you know, open a restaurant, be a chef again. And I just started to really like it and, and I was very fortunate. It's very difficult in Canada to get a full-time teaching position. Um, people teach for 10, 15 years and still don't get full-time and they go contract to contract. Now I have, um, I have a good background. I don't, you know, I don't want to say like I'm the best chef ever cause I'm definitely not, but I have a good background and I brought a different view to the college and I have a specialty in breads. And so I had, I'm an idea person. So I had all these ideas and a full-time position came up and I applied for it. So now that we're in this situation, I'm just so lucky because while my life has changed drastically, I'm still working every day. I taught a class online this morning. <clears throat> so for the college, you know, I'm baking things at home and doing demos live for my students and they sign on a Zoom call and we cook. The, the harder part for me is coaching them with what are they going to do upon graduation. You know, some of my students say, oh, I emailed this restaurant, but I didn't hear back from them. And it's very difficult for me to say like, look, you're not going to hear back from them for a while because first of all, they have to worry about their employees and their self and their family and their business and they don't know how they're going to pay their rent. So from my point of view, I'm working from home. I'm still getting paid. I'm healthy. I mean, look behind me, right? There's a whole wall right beside me here. There's 10 kgs of rye grains there. I have a flour mill and a 15 kilogram spiral mixer. I have, you know, 80 kilograms of bread flour. I have 20 kilograms of all-purpose flour. And this isn't me hoarding. I just always have this here. I'm all, I have a bag of pizza flour. I do a lot of recipe development for companies. So I get ingredients for free. Um, I buy some. I do a small distribution that I sell bread out of. I've put my micro bakery on hold, so I'm not currently selling any breads because I'm just not comfortable. It's all my friends and my neighbors, but I, I realize that, you know, they're friends and neighbors, but the moment I pass something on to someone and, it, and someone gets really sick, um, then it becomes a lawsuit or a, or a serious issue. So as much as it's probably safer to buy a loaf of bread for me, um, legally, I mean, legally, I can't be selling bread out of my house. So I'm just putting it on hold and then we've just been producing for those who are in need. So I've sent a message to my subscribers and said, you know, if you're, if you're out of work, if you really need a loaf of bread, like, let me know. And it's free. If you, oh, yeah. are, if you're paranoid, go to the bakery. If you don't want to go out, you know, one of my members, his wife is, is they have a six month old child. So I said, look, whenever you need bread, just give me a few days notice and you don't have to pay for it. I'll make it for you. And then I've also reached out and offered coaching for everyone. So, you know, everyone in the world is trying to bake bread at home right now. And, and I have a good knowledge of it. So I've told my group, like, look, if you want sourdough starter, I'll leave some on my front porch. Um, I'll walk you through it. I'll help you bake. And, and, you know, in some ways you're cannibalizing yourself because when things go back to normal, you know, but I also feel that this is just beyond, uh, you know, my personal gain, this is about everyone. And I also feel like if I'm very helpful to those people, you know, chances are they're not going to be able to bake the bread as well as I do anyways. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a couple of them will, but like the chances are they're going to appreciate the gesture. And when this is, I don't think it'll ever go back to normal, but when this is sort of normalized, I think they'll come back and purchase from me. So, I mean, 
long answer to your question, but things have changed massively, but I'm one of the lucky ones who's not, I don't have to worry about rent. I have a roof over my head. I have lots of food. I'm able to provide food for some people in my community that are in great need right now. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm scared and I have some like anxious feelings at night and whatnot, but I also have to look around me and realize like, Hey, I, I have, you know, a beautiful daughter. She turns two next week. My wife is working. I'm working. We have paychecks. We don't have to worry about our rent. We don't have to worry about our food. So I, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, it's affected, but not in the way that some people have been. You said um, when things are back to normal, when you get back to normal, if we ever get back to normal, what's the, what's the first thing that you're going to do uh, differently, you think, after, after this? If you go back to your class and example. <laughs> Uh, well, so we've, we've already been discussing like a lot of our content becoming online, um, for students. So I think that we'll transition more. Um, and I also think that I will try to prepare my lessons. Um, I, we have what's called UDL, which is universal design for learning. So say for example, you have a student with a learning disability and they can't read a PowerPoint or a recipe. I've, I've been installing voice narration. So you open the recipe and it's me saying, or a, or a bot saying, um, 10 grams yeast, 15 grams, so that you create this feeling. But I think that what we'll need to do is create these courses online so that, you know, hopefully this doesn't happen again. I'm, I'm sure it, something will. Uh, but even in the case that a student is sick, so a student gets sick, they can't make it to class and you give them a zero. Hey, you couldn't make it. This is a bread class. We teach this hands-on. You can't do it. I think that's a really way of the past. I don't know if you went to culinary school, but when I did, if you were late, they locked the door. You can't come in if you're five minutes late. Well, I don't have that policy in my classroom because it's a different world. And like, you know, the students that want to work hard and become chefs are going to work hard and become chefs. The students that are just there to like do whatever program, they're going to do it regardless. So I'd like to create these online modules so that if you're sick, for example, I can say, hey, you know what, um, you are sick, but I'd like you to watch these videos. Here's a step-by-step -step tutorial. You know, you don't have to expect people to make things at home, but I think just creating that like other way of learning and the other way of teaching those materials will be a big thing. So from a work point of view, from a life point of view, I just want to go, you know, I just want to, I want to go to a basketball game. I'm a big Raptors fan and I get really good tickets through my father-in-law. And I had one for the, the week after all everything closed, I had courtside tickets to a basketball game. And so like that obviously got canceled and I just want to watch a basketball game. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's how I feel too. The, the, the worst to me is the long prosperity there is of, going to a concert, going to a theater, go to the movies, go to sit in a restaurant. And I wonder, the thing is that here in Sweden, having really closed down, Denmark closed down a lot harder than it did in Sweden. Still, people are keeping their distance, of, of course. I wonder if this will be so embedded in us because it was such a scare that we, Might will, be. That we always will keep our distance uh, then we won't stand close together at a concert. And, and I think that's what I'm going to miss the most. Before the mandatory closure of restaurants in Toronto, so Toronto and in, in, in Ontario, restaurants can do takeout only. A lot of restaurants even started doing things like half capacity, like, hey, we're only going to 
instead of seating 50, we're only going to seat 25 so that you can sit, you know, four or five feet away from each other. And I also wonder if that trend or that idea is going to carry through and continue on because I do wonder if, you know, Hey, I had tickets to see rage against the machine in June. It's one of my favorite bands and like it's canceled. But then when you go back, you know, it's embedded in your head and you're sitting there like this, or like when you go on the subway system in Toronto in rush hour, you're like this, there's millions of people every day. Right. So I think people will, you know, Hey, if I can ride my bike a half an hour, instead of take a 20 minute subway, why not ride my bike? Or why not, you know, in Denmark and Sweden, I think you have more of a bike culture, but here we don't, you know, like, <laughs> I think those think, types of things will become you, more important. Do you think the restaurants uh, will uh, have an obligation, um, not enforced, but have an obligation to create an atmosphere that will f- make people feel more safe when they open up again? I don't know. I think so. I mean, that's a really hard question. I I feel for my friends that are in restaurants, you know, my whole life is in restaurants. My, all my, all my friends are chefs and cooks and all my, like the people that I've been talking to over the past couple weeks, months or whatever, they're all chefs and cooks. They're all, so I don't, I really don't know what the, the lasting impact from a diner and, and restaurant culture point of view would be. I mean, I would imagine you would probably want less people working at once in the kitchen. You probably, i don't know. I don't know if this is true, but I read somewhere that um, I believe it was the Spanish influenza in 1916. After it was all done, that's what led us to the five-day work week because they were forcing people to stay at home. And I wonder if something like that will also happen. Like, you know, maybe restaurant. Like, it's really hard because you're a business. You're trying to pay rent. You're trying to pay your employees. But will restaurants consider? Hey, we're only going to open for four days a week. Will colleges do four days a week, work from home one day a week? Will businesses start doing like, my wife works for the government. Will they do, you know, four days, you know, she already can work from home one day a week. Maybe now it'll be two days. I really don't know. I it's, I think it depends on yes, where things go. We'll be standing go. in the kitchen doing the mise en place and then just coming into work. <laughs> you know what? I worked at a, I worked at a Relay and Chateau hotel, Langdon Hall. And I was the, uh, the, the daytime entremet. And I remember I used to be so in the shit for work that I would I would take stuff home and I would prep it at home. And then in the morning I would have like my peppers and onions diced. And then I was making my my marmalade for the muscle dish. And I would just like chuck them in the pan because I was so stressed and anxious. And I was in my early 20s cooking, trying to just keep up to the to the better cooks than me, right? I, I've done it. I've been there, but not because I not because of that reason, because I wanted to survive and be You know, I wanted to move ahead in the restaurant. I wanted to show that I could do it. So I was cheating by prepping at home, <laughs> which is totally illegal, right? It's a good thing. Like I never got found out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, are, are there a shortage of uh, yeast and flour in, uh, in Toronto now? So all of the grocery stores, um, I personally, so another to your first question, you know, how things have changed. Um, I was a sous chef in Four Seasons for Daniel Blute for, you know, I worked there for four and a half years. Um, and as a private chef, I dealt with a very large quantity of ingredients. Um, and my my background is just knowing where my food comes from, where most chefs. So, I mean, I've been living in Toronto for seven, eight years, and I've always had a direct connection to farmer. I've always shopped at the farmer's market. 
Now with my daughter, I take her every Saturday. We go and we shop. Um, so for me, like, luckily, a lot of ingredients that I get become shipped to my house already. And I have such a good connection with the suppliers that I'm like a priority customer. Because now that everyone wants things delivered, you know, they have to pick and choose. We can't add everyone. But because I was supporting them when they needed the support, now they can support me. So for me, the yeast and flour thing is not an issue. I also buy 20 kilogram bags. Um, I don't really ever go to the grocery store. I don't like it. I don't like the quality of produce in them. I do. I don't want to say ever, but it's very rare. You know, there are some staples in your house that you may go for, but I typically don't. Maybe, I don't know, at the most, I would say 10 times a year, I go into a large supermarket grocery store at the most. So like I already didn't shop like that, but from what I'm hearing is all the supermarkets are out of flour and, and yeast. And now it's not an issue of the supply chain. It's not like they're not producing the flour. It's that they're not producing the packaging. So for example, you know, you can go and buy a 20 kilogram bag of flour, but because bakeries are closed and bakeries are producing less, those bags are stocked in the back and the bags that are on the front shelf are being sold. So all everyone, you know, there's a really big mill in, in the state. It's called King Arthur flour. And over the Easter week, they sold 1 million bags of flour, which is what they sell over the whole month of December. And I mean, that's, that's incredible. And it's just because people are at home and what's a comforting thing to do. What's a very comforting Zen like thing. What really helps you I hate using the word disconnect. I hate saying disconnect from the world because I think that's kind of a cowardly thing to do. Like, oh, I'm disconnecting, so I'm having a drink or whatever. I think that's the wrong word for it. But it helps you maybe be more focused on what's in front of you and less focused on what's happening outside. So I don't think it's a matter of the supply chain has an issue, although we could get there if things continue on. I do know there's been some restrictions on some countries importing grains. Um, luckily, I live in the land of grain, so I don't. I probably won't have that issue. Um, but I think what's happened is just everyone, and people also don't know, right? I got an Instagram message from a woman, and she said, "Oh my God, I've, you know, I've bought this yeast, and I'm not sure what to do." And then and that, and I said, "Well, send me a picture." And and she's never baked a day in her life, but all of a sudden, because of social media and all the panic around, she went out, and and this woman had sent me a picture of five pounds of yeast. Like that is a, that is when I make a recipe, I'm using maybe 15 grams of yeast. So yeah, she's, she has enough to make thousands of loaves of bread. So then the other part of it is other people cannot access that because you've just bought it all. And now, you know, you, you, you only really need, you know, if you buy a kilogram of flour, you're going to make yourself anywhere from two to five loaves of bread, even one, if you make a giant loaf of bread and like, that's going to be your two weeks of bread. So you don't need to be like me and buy 20 kilograms. Now I produce bread for social media content for customers for my work. So I do have it. And I've always had that. But I think a lot of the issue is not the supply chain is more the packaging and the availability. So like it, those shelves will be restocked. It's just a matter of time. And then people panic and they say, Oh, the shelves are full. I should buy 10 bags of flour because they don't really understand what they're doing or what they're making. Right. Do you think that more people should buy like you do? Um, I think that more people will start to buy like I do. And I think that that'll be a lasting impact that more people will want to buy bulk. I mean, if you look behind me, I don't know if you can see it, 
and you see these bags right here. So these are two kilograms of navy beans, two kilograms of lentils, two kilograms of chickpeas. And I buy these from a company that buys direct from the farmer and they ship it to your house. So they're 100% Canadian grains. And now I have 16 kilograms of, of legumes on my shelf. And that wasn't something I panic bought. It's just what we always do because from my point of view, if I buy two kilograms of chickpeas, it's much cheaper than buying a small bag. And, and when I cook, I'm more, I mean, I'm only cooking for three people, but I tend to cook in batch. And then we free, we cook, you know, 10 of these and I freeze eight and we eat two kind of thing. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll eat the other ones. So I think that people will start to do that. I think from an economical point of view, it makes sense. It's cheaper. It's just a matter of, you know, being sensible about it, buying 20 kilograms of flour and sitting on it for six months doesn't really make sense from a freshness point of view. But if you're able to use it and produce it, you can also do something like, hey, you know, I'm going to go buy 20 kilograms of flour and I message my neighbors and surrounding, hey, I'm going to buy this bag. Let's go in together. Let's split it together. It'll all save us all a few dollars kind of thing. Thank you. What you just said there was exactly what we needed. That was fantastic. Really. Really, 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 really good input. Thank you very much for that one. Um, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, that, no, no, that was, it was really, really, yeah, you just hit it perfectly. So, um, the other, on the other side of the flour thing is a lot of people have been jumping on making sourdough, right? So I'm sure you've seen this trend on social media. I don't know if you're a Instagram guy, but like my social media has never been busier. I think I, I have like a professional account. It tells you how many profile visits you get. I typically average anywhere from like 1200, maybe to like 3,500. And that's if I'm really actively baking. <clears throat> and right now it's like 9,000. You know, I usually gain one to 500 followers a week, again, depending on if I'm active, if I'm not. Um, and I probably gained, I don't know, like in the, in the past month, I've probably gained five, 6,000 followers. So I think that, you know, people are like, oh, okay, there's no yeast. I want to make sourdough or uh, you see it on social media advertised. One of the, one of the problems for me with that is that it's an advanced bread. It's not like, I don't want to say you can't because obviously you can do anything you put your mind to, but it's not like you can, it's not like you can decide, oh, I want to make sourdough tomorrow. And then, and then now you have a restaurant caliber of bread. It takes years and years to perfect the skill. Now, I don't think it's not that I mean, it's not a bad time to try. It's not a bad time to learn a new skill. And hey, why not? But there is also the side of what I've been encouraging some of my followers is saying, hey, you know, that's great that you want to bake sourdough, but why don't you bake these recipes first and get a general knowledge of how to make a loaf of bread in general? Yeah, and save yourself the money and not discard any flour and not mess up the loaves like, you need to start somewhere and develop some form of skill. When I teach a 101 class, a bread 101, I never do sourdough because I think that you need a few skills first, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's really interesting that now people, they tend to bake a lot and they cook a lot. And it, it all speaks down to our point of view, our narrative. I hope that some of it will stick when they get back to... I hope so too. I've even, even over the years, like, I mean, I've been working in kitchens for over a decade, right? 15 years. And I, I always, I don't want to say always, but okay. So for example, when I worked in New York city, 
I used to save my paycheck so that I could go and have that fine dining meal. So every paycheck I put away 50 bucks or whatever. And then when I had enough, I went to the three Michelin star and ate dinner. But I've always been one that cooks at home. And I know a lot of chefs and a lot of people that I've worked with over the years that when they get a day off, they go to McDonald's or a taco truck. And there's nothing wrong with going to your local taco truck, going out to eat. But I've always been one that's preferred to cook at home. I've always been a chef that I would rather roast a chicken and make some simple vegetables and then invite my my coworkers over for dinner. Hey, come on over. I'm going to make some pizzas in my backyard instead of let's all go for pizza. And so I think that I think that people will appreciate the value of cooking at home. I think you also have to appreciate the time you spend with your family. So, you know, in my house, we don't do any TVs. I, I will be the first to admit I'm on my phone way too much. Um, I use it for work. I use it for social media. But when when it's dinner time, they all go away. There's no phones at the table. There's no television at the table. You know, outside of like a, a significant world event that was being televised, we would never, never do it. And I think people will, will understand that slow food way of living because now you've gone from rush, 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 go, 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 you know, buy food on my lunch break, order takeout, uh, buy some, you know, there's a lot of companies that do like prepared meals, whereas now you're home and you have time to you know, throw something in the oven. You have time to cook a little bit more. And I really hope that that, that, that slow food culture, that being, that being present, that being here and understanding the process, what's happening? Why am I flipping a steak? Why is the broccoli turning brown? Not that everyone needs to become a chef automatically, but I think that people will appreciate it more. And then the, the, the flip side of that, the, the longer lasting impact is... <clears throat> from a food system point of view, if you know, if you were to go in the grocery store right now and you see a bunch of products that are being produced in New York City where COVID-19 is really bad, do you really wanna buy that? Because for one, you're contributing to more people working. There's the whole packaging, processing, harvesting, growing, uh, whatever, shipping. There's more people involved in getting that food into Toronto than there is than some, from supporting my local farm. So I really hope that people will start to understand where their food comes from a little bit more. I could be wrong and it might have the opposite of effect of like, all we need is canned beans in the, in the, in the cupboard. But I really hope that you, you, people will start to understand the importance of knowing where your food comes from. And I mean, you know, this, this is a pandemic and I'm not, I'm not saying this is not a serious thing, but imagine it was like even more serious and now <clears throat> supply chains are closing down. And now all of a sudden we don't have all that, all those, um, greens coming from California. We don't have all the strawberries coming from California. A lot of people rely on those and they don't understand what the difference between Ontario and Canadian food and American or whatever, right? I mean, I know Denmark, for example, exports, you know, pork to the UK. So it's a little bit closer, but I really hope that people will understand the impact of where your food comes from, who are you supporting, and those small decisions that you make on your table, where does that, where does that go? You know, it's a, <clears throat> I don't know what you call it, but it's like a bigger picture, right? There's a hidden, there's a hidden cost of cheap food. There's a hidden cost of buying those products. And I think you can do the great thing of, you know, now's a great time. Hey, <clears throat> what, what are my local farmers? Who's running a CSA in my neighborhood? Who can I support? Who can I reach out to? Who can I buy that weekly box from? I think people can really take, you know, I don't want to be the idiot that says turn a negative into a positive. Oh, it's not that bad. You'll find out where your food comes from because it's not about that. But I really hope that that is one of the impacts of the on the food chain.
Yeah, fantastic. One of the things that really pissed me off before this whole COVID-19 is that we have this, it's like an expression, uh, a term that they made up. It's, it's called a meal solution. So no, everyone was talking about the meal solution. No one was talking about what the real problem was. Uh, so it was all about the solution. and no one, no one was addressing the problem that people didn't either one um, put down the time, invested the time, um, prioritized the time around the kitchen. Prioritized uh, the time, yeah. They didn't do that. Uh, or they, they didn't have the knowledge or they simply didn't care. To me, hey, I'm a, I'm a, sorry. No, no, go, go. Yeah, for my, it seems to me like I'm 41. It seems to me like we in, in our generation have had a really, we've been really trying to um, put the bar on. Well, when we cross the finish line uh, at the end of the day, we don't cross the finish line when we sit down as a family and having a meal. We cross the finish line and relax when we sit in front of the TV. That's and I so that, I think that's wrong. I think, so, I think we should go, ah, finally, we're in the kitchen. Now we're together. That was the objective of having a family, really, right? It wasn't just sitting slowly in each ring corner of the sofa, dying with your smartphones in your hand, right? That's such an amazing point. So I, I am like... Um, I think most chefs are, I can tell just the way you sit in your chair that you're probably like me and you probably don't sit down for much in the day. Um, you're kind of go, go, go. So I always have stupid projects on the go. Um, I grow, I grow cannabis. I'm a medical user. I've been doing it for about 20 years. Um, back when it was like really illegal and I have a little garden. It's only a few plants. I'm within my legal limit. I really enjoy it. So for me, instead of turning the TV on, I go and I'm in the garden or I'm outside in the backyard or I'm reading a cookbook, but I will do television. And now I love my wife and she's amazing and she does a lot of amazing things, but she is more that I've crossed the finish line. I'm on the couch. The TV goes on. And so what we've done during this, this time now is we've decided that unless it's um, Friday or Saturday night, which is a weekend evening, we limit the television to one and a half hours which is one, maybe two episodes or three episodes, potentially a movie. We watched a brilliant movie last night called Fantastic Fungi. And it's about mushrooms and, and mycelium uh, and uh, mycelium networks under the soil and how mushrooms can help. They actually talk even about um, fungus uh, for um, like pandemic and how to heal it. And now really? we've set that rule because it also is easy to have that busy day and say, Oh, I've crossed the finish line, turn the TV on. And next thing you know, you've just watched three episodes of Tiger King. And, and you just been, yeah, and it's, it's this, it, like, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I watched Tiger King. I enjoyed it. But it's the stupidest show. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't teach me anything at all. Whereas at least with watching Fantastic Fungi, we're learning. We're still being productive in some ways. So what my wife and I have done is just that of like, hey, you know, let's limit it to one and a half hours because we, we are already in the house all day. We're, we are also now, you know, I went from doing a hands-on job to all my classes are on a Zoom call. So I'm on my computer from anywhere from 9 till 4, 5 p.m. And, and because I have a young child, often that goes further into the evening after she goes to bed. So we've been just trying to limit it. And I think that what you said is just goes back to that appreciation of where your food comes from and appreciation of cooking. 
mind you, I, I try to cook every day, but what we might do is something like, you know, we roast a chicken on Sunday, we shred some of the meat. Hey man, I even have an instant pot. I pressure cook a chicken and shred the meat. And then what I'm doing is on Tuesday I'm cooking, but all I'm doing is putting a pot of rice on and maybe some vegetable in the oven or um, a lot of people that aren't chefs may roast a bunch of veg on Sunday and kind of reheat it. But what I'll do is just cut the vegetables up and I have a container, dump it on a pan, throw some oil on it, throw it in the oven, some pork fat, whatever, and, and kind of roast it like that. And I think that, I think those two, my point and your point go really hand in hand. And I think that it'll, you know, chefs are already doing this, but I really hope that the general public will see the importance of you know, hey, this is the this is why we have a family. This is why we have a house. This is why we celebrate mealtime is that, you know, this is our time to connect with each other. And you're right. You know, I'm guilty of it. I'm sitting here on uh, my wife's my wife's watching TV. And I'm doing this. And she's saying, get off your phone, pay attention. I'm like, well, I'm not watching. So what's the difference of me staring at my phone and the TV? Oh, well, it's so different. You're distracting. I'm like, well, maybe you're distracting me with the TV on. Like there's really no difference of sitting in front of your phone or your iPad in the TV. It's the same idea, right? It's just the, the saddest image in the world. is just a husband and wife lying in bed and they're both their faces are lit up by the screen of their phones. It's just the saddest image in my, in my head. Yeah, I totally, and I see it all, you see it all the time. I see. I see you know, the house. So I, I just have. I have a um, a final question for you, and then I'll let you off the hook. And thank you so much for doing this, by the way. <laughs> and I think we're very, very much alike. Uh, that's what I love with people from Canada. We and they, well, Denmark is the Canada of Europe. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, so, when I was it's funny because when I was looking at restaurants, so I wanted to do a stage. I'd done a few stages in my career. I was working for the chef in Orlais and Chateau. And I was became good friends with him and we studied restaurant culture and we geeked out together. And I said to him one day, hey, I want to go to a stage and, and I have this restaurant. I want to go to this place called Noma. And at the time, I think they were number 48, world's 50 best. They were never famous. And he laughed at me and said, why would you want to go to Denmark? Why wouldn't you go to Danielle Balud or Thomas Keller or <clears throat> we're a Relais Chateau and we have all these connections? And I said, look, I think the culture of the food in Denmark is much more similar to Ontario. The climate's the same. I think that, I don't know because I've never been there, but I think the way of life is much more similar to what it is here than outside. And that's why I want to go. And he was like, oh, you're crazy. What are you doing? And then I went and of course they went super famous. And now he says like, <clears throat> he's the chef at a really good restaurant now. And he says like, oh, well, I've all, I'm from Newfoundland and we've always focused on Scandinavian cuisine. And I've always known that that was the future. And I was doing this before it was, and I'm like, whatever, buddy. Like, so I, I, I got to agree with you on that. I find it's very similar in so many ways. Yeah. Listen, thank you so much for your time. I hope that uh, we'll get to meet face to face one time and not shake hands, but maybe break, bake some bread <laughs> <laughs> together. Yeah, yeah, we'll break some bread. Wait. No, I think it's cool. You're, you seem like you have an amazing thing going. I'm actually, you know, it's, some, it's fun to connect with people because not that we want to go to your extreme of like all the, you know, I love wood-fired cooking. Obviously, I have an oven and I'd love to have a pit and a, and a wood-fired grill and set up. Um, but we've been talking a lot about, hey, we want to get out of the rat race and go more in the country. And it's nice to see someone who's actually done it and is making... One tip, before you move, check out the school first. Which because school? Whatever school Juniper, Juniper is going to attend. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if she's not happy with the school or you're not satisfied with the school, everything is going to be messed up. Yeah, so, and you can't do anything. And we, we just totally chanced it. So we were very fortunate that the schooling here is amazing. But I'm just thinking if the school in here would have been really bad, our uh, experience of moving out here would have been a lot worse. So that's just yeah, one, fair one, enough. Tip, one tip. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I hope we'll speak again soon. Yeah, if you have any recommendations of what I can cook in the wood oven, feel free to shoot me some pictures or some ideas. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you my book. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'll take a look. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, the, this oven doesn't have like, it's not a, it's not a brick oven. It's, it, it's stone, but it's like, um, like a pizza oven. So it doesn't hold the thermal mass super long. So that's the only I thing. I like, don't cook in an oven. I just cook over a campfire and you can do that. In yeah, I can do that. I can do yeah. that. If you have a fire pit, then you can cook. Yep. I do. Yep. I have a Kamado Joe. So we take the logs out and put it in the smoker and cook over the fire. Oh, that's fantastic. We did a we did the whole lamb in my driveway last summer. We did we invite a bunch of people the, over. Yeah, pretty the cool. Asado, the asado, asado. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, thank you very much. Speak to you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Say hi to Freddie, please. I will. Bye bye. Yeah.